Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody-Mills. And I want to make a plea to Democratic voters. Hmm. Because Republicans fall in line, but -hmm. Democrats are supposed to fall in love. Mm -hmm. And I want our voters to give themselves a chance to fall in love with a candidate. And don't think about who's going to beat Trump and who does Trump most or least want to face. Do you let him make other decisions in your life? Do you let Trump decide where you're going to go for lunch? So why would you let Trump decide who you're going to vote for for president? Ignore him for a moment, because right now, all the major Democratic candidates are beating Trump head to head. And I still think it's too early to care about that. But electability is a farce. Trump pursued electability into Ukraine only to find out the person who got him impeached wasn't even viable. Couldn't have even won the race. Mm-hmm. Biden is falling apart and we've just started. You didn't even need to call Ukraine. You could have kept your mouth shut and Biden wouldn't fall apart. No, choose the candidate who you love. Give yourself a chance to fall in love with one of the candidates. Maybe that's Bernie. Maybe that's Amy. Maybe that's Buttigieg. But, oh God, you got to see the eye roll. Danielle, just bust it up. But, oh, it wasn't audible? But just, it probably was. But give yourself a chance to meet the candidates and fall in love with them without the guiding ethos being who will beat Trump? Because there are many people in this race who can beat Trump, including our leader, Bernie Sanders. Hmm. So that's interesting. And I think to some extent, I agree. However, while I don't let Donald Trump decide what I'm going to eat because I don't want to eat cold, fast food, um, I think that I want people to recognize that, and I want the candidates, frankly, to recognize that this isn't just a fucking pageant. Right. I'm not interested in falling in love with your outfit, falling in love with your voice or your cadence. What I care about at this particular moment 
given that we now know, if people were under any other impression, that the Department of Justice is really just Mm. working for Donald Trump, that at the same time as we're watching the news in New Hampshire unfold, that we're actually understanding that four public servants, four prosecutors in the Roger Stone case all quit in protest because William Barr got a wink and a nod from the president to lighten the sentence on his criminal ass buddy. I want somebody who understands that we are living in dangerous times. I do not want to hear any of these fucking candidates talk to me about working across the aisle. I don't think I have time, frankly, to fall in love because I'm too fucking scared. So, look, I didn't care about Iowa. And I mean, they proved to show me that I shouldn't, shouldn't have, uh, that I shouldn't have cared. And that do apparently, you know one? May, yeah. I don't, do we still know? Do we not know? I mean, it's, it's been two clear. weeks, so who clear. knows? But maybe Bloomberg, to that extent, was right that he could have. <laughs> you know, they're still tallying. <laughs> but he was right to have forfeited going to Iowa, to going to New Hampshire, because it was like, well, I think it's a waste of time. You know, it's 41 delegates over here. It's a few delegates over here. Like, it's nothing that's consequential, right? Really in numbers. And so yesterday when I'm watching, you know, New Hampshire unfold, and yes, Bernie Sanders came out as the winner. Buttigieg is in second and Klobuchar is in third. And I'm like, great, great. I'm so happy that you all won the white vote. I think that's fantastic. Now what? Where else are we going? And so I think that the lesson for me from New Hampshire is that white folks don't believe that we're in danger, that they don't understand the critical moment that we are in, which they've shown the rest of us through their low voter turnout and through the wishy-washy interviews that I'm seeing with regular Americans. And let me tell you something about Amy and Buttigieg. I can't stand the two of them. Can't and, stand and Amy? I can't fucking stand her. Really? Yes. And I'm just going to let that be on the record so that when people come for me later on, I don't like them. And let me tell you why. Because if I hear the phrase Midwestern fucking values Mm. as if their experience in the Midwest around all white people is somehow better or more valued than the rest of us who live on the coast or live in big cities. I am tired of the rhetoric. I am tired of the nonsense. And the both of them push that privileged white bullshit to the 10th degree. And I'm over it. Well, the people in the middle of the country are real Americans. I mean, we're on the edges. Yeah, I guess we're we're avatars, right? We are avatars. I don't know. We're just the people who make most of the money. But let me... <laughs> and most of the industry and most of the jobs yeah, and, you know, yeah, whatever. Most of the culture. I, let, let me, look, here's, <laughs> here's what I see. Bernie Sanders is doing extremely well. Yes. And he is poised to take this. As Biden starts to fall apart and the core of Biden's argument among his supporters and among himself was his electability. Mm -hmm. He's the pragmatic choice who will beat Trump. If that falls apart, Biden has nothing. It's like the chair was kicked out from under him. Right. Mm -hmm. And you start to see his numbers going into late January in California and other places plummeting right the arrows mm-hmm. going like straight downward right as people are leaving the ship and tons of black people in particular have left biden and where have they gone bloomberg right right which is fully about electability they're not certain that bernie can do it so they're like i like the tough rich guy even though he's the return of boss hog mm-hmm. right bernie to me appears like a basketball player who's gotten a steal and he's got a breakaway open lane. Mm-hmm. Can he get from this part of the court 
to the basket, but there's not really anyone seriously in front of him, right? A couple weeks ago, it was like there's two progressives and two moderates. Elizabeth Warren is falling away. Now there's one progressive against two moderates. Mm -hmm. That suggests to me that he's going to be able to consolidate Elizabeth Warren's support and get a big lead. Bernie has the most passionate supporters of anyone in the race. He also has the most passionate detractors of anyone in the race. He has people on the ground and in media who are saying he can't win. He's too socialist. He's too irascible. He's too this. He's too that. Bernie's challenge over the next few weeks and months and probably weeks Mm -hmm. will be to convince people who are like never Bernie or not Bernie or Bernie can't win to convince them, yes, I can win and bring them into the fold such that he starts taking people away from Pete and Amy to where then it becomes, well, now you can't beat him. Well, I will tell you this. I don't think that we will hear from Pete or Klobuchar in the next couple of weeks. I don't see them going into states that are actually representative of the country and them pulling any weight. I think that you're right in terms of where Bernie is, but there is a billionaire Shaquille O'Neal that is standing would in you, his way. Would you say a billionaire Spud Webb? I don't fucking know basketball. I was just trying to go with well, your metaphor. Like, like a short one. <laughs> like a short one. Like I mean, literally short. short. I think but, you're totally But if Bloomberg. you're standing on your money, ooh, yeah, ooh, then your ooh, shit is stacked. Ooh, yeah. So... I think that we have to be really serious, even though what Bloomberg has continued to say is that whether he's on the ballot or not, and this is what his recent statement said following the appearance of the video that he never wanted to come out Mm -mm. around stop and frisk and how great it was because black men are criminals. 95% of the the crimes are committed by 16 to 25-year-old black men, apparently, across the country, everywhere. Coast to coast. Yeah. Black men are just marauding around, killing everybody. Killing everybody. All the killing is black men. So, If only we'd sent them back to Africa. I mean, you do you know, can do that you do know first class that ticket. America now is near a century low in national homicide. Mm-hmm. That is not discussed. Back to when we were a rural agrarian country. So homicide is not this massive marauding problem that it was 20 and 30 years ago. So to fixate on that and take away the civil liberties of any black man who any police officer wants to stop. And this notion of we have bad apples, that is not accurate. We have a system that privileges and incentivizes stopping black and brown Mm -hmm. men. Go into the community. War on drugs. Quotas are real. We Mm -hmm. need you to be bringing in male blacks, Mm -hmm. right? Don't come in here with white women. We want you to make a certain number of arrests. Well, what if the officer doesn't see any crime? Then he's not being proactive enough. He's not doing his job. Right. So throw up against a wall every black male you can. And you know what the pretense for a stop and frisk is? A furtive movement. And you know what a furtive movement is? Anything the officer wants it to be in that moment. The fact is, is that there is not one candidate left on the stage that doesn't have some fucked up relationship with communities of color. What we are doing right now is just deciding who has the least fucked up relationship with communities of color and black people in particular. And I think that why we see 
Bloomberg able to cut in. I mean, literally, the men damn near cut Biden's lead yeah. with black voters in, in half. half. Yeah, yeah. And what I have heard from people who are living in North Carolina, South Carolina, who are living in the states where Bloomberg's ads are just everywhere, is that they are compelling. They are taking Trump head on. And he is talking about issues and things and the danger of the current moment that we're in. So while everybody else needed to do this kind of, I only have $10, but I have two weeks on $10. So where am I going to place my money? Right. Bloomberg didn't have to do that. Right. And it's not just the money, but it's the idea that people are like, can this man, who is an actual force, who represented a city that might as well be a small country, sure. right? Does he have the ability to take on Donald Trump, which black people recognize as an imminent threat? He's an existential threat. He's an imminent threat. I understand in my bones the need to remove Trump immediately. And as you see, you referenced the DOJ scandal. Mm -hmm. Trump is moving more and more aggressively to act as if he's a dictator running a banana republic rather than a president who has to follow some laws. I get that. Mm -hmm. I don't think, in fact, I know because I lived in New York when Bloomberg was mayor, that Bloomberg is not the right answer. And mm. when I see black people going to Bloomberg, who was Mr. Stop and Frisk, mm -hmm. I see us saying, I would rather somebody who goes against my interests in terms of criminal justice, someone who would initiate policies of lock up your sons before they commit murder on some minority report shit. Mm -hmm. From The New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. And assuming that they are criminal, I mean, you know, his lie about he suddenly realized Top and Frisk was wrong no, a judge said, you have to stop this. This is illegal. Mm -hmm. And then the numbers of stop and frisk went down. 
but he was stopping and frisking half a million to 600,000 black and brown men a year. We were looking at 110% of black and brown boys being stopped and frisked. So everybody catching it at least once, maybe twice, right? Criminalizing and traumatizing a whole community. And one thing that a lot of people may not realize, stop and frisk is not merely police officers run up on you, throw you up against the wall, throw you up against the car, pat you down, empty your pockets. It's more than that. There's also something, if memory serves, called a 250, right? It's a form Mm. that they fill out. You Mm -hmm. don't have to give them your information, Mm -hmm. but after the police have patted you down and spoken to you in a very aggressive way, you may not feel like you actually have the right to say no. So they take down your information, and then when something happens in the community... You're the first person that they go to. They go back and talk to you. So you you are being criminalized and put in the community. In a system. Yes, and not Mm -hmm. that they're necessarily assuming you did it, but they're assuming that you know, right? That you would know what happened because they saw you and criminalized you and traumatized you, believe you, being patted down, stopped and patted down by the police in your community and from other people in your community. That is traumatizing. And this is what Bloomberg was all about as a New Yorker, because he saw that we can do this to black and brown communities, which makes white communities feel safer and I can keep getting reelected. This is the person that you would rather choose than someone like Bernie Sanders or even Pete, like this this rejection of black and brown values and and liberty is frightening to me. I think that how the numbers got cut in half. Because everything that you lay out... Biden's number. Biden's number got cut in half. I think that everything that you're laying out right now, this is why we all woke up this week and hashtag Bloomberg is racist was trending on Twitter, right? Because most people outside of New York don't understand the trauma that black and brown men had been faced with for over a decade in New York City. And I don't think that we ever really give a shit outside of the Black community, about Black people's trauma, Mm. right? And post-traumatic stress and anxiety and depression and all of these things. And so what we are faced with, and this is why I'm talking about the danger of this moment, is what we are faced with is either this, what you have laid out as Bloomberg with a half-ass apology, right, on something that he knew was wrong, but to your point, didn't care, didn't right? Care. Because as long as white folks are going to keep moving back into the city, spending money, because I'm making them feel safe, right? And because New I'm, York City, because I'm criminalizing blackness. And New York City is safer now than it has been since like the 1950s, right? So if I'm going to do that, black people are faced with a choice right now: either we move into a space where we have a shifting of Jim Crow to James. Crow Mm. Esquire, Mm. where we are having white nationalists freely take over the Kentucky state capitol, march down Charlottesville, march in Washington, D.C., where that becomes the norm? Or we swallow what Jill Biden told us to swallow with Joe Biden, that we swallow the Bloomberg pill because most people, including white folks, when they hear the term socialism, even though we're living in a fascist fucking state right now, still are like, oh, I don't know about that. Right. Like, oh, how is Bernie going to get through with these ideas? Because we have the Pete Buttigieg's and the Amy Klobuchar's talking about, well, how are you going to pay for that? I don't give a fuck, actually. Right. Because nobody asks Republicans how they pay for a goddamn thing. Right. 
We are always our own worst enemy, but I feel like Black people are either given the choice of, it's like, what, what would you rather have? You know, cancer or the Ebola virus? <laughs> well, one of them kind of, sort of, has a cure in some ways. At least I get radiation or chemotherapy. With Ebola, I'm just fucked. And that is the choice right now that people have between Trump and, like, some of the Democratic nominees. It's like, do I want cancer or Ebola? They're both a fucking disease. One I could maybe live longer with. The other one I'm definitely, definitely terminal. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's how I feel. <laughs> I, I sense people saying, you know, I don't believe in Bernie. Mm -hmm. Trump's going to call him a socialist. Yep. Trump's going to lie about whoever is his competition. He will call any of them a socialist or whatever word he needs to use to sow doubt about their ability to be president. So I don't really roll with like, oh, well, he's going to call him a socialist. Oh, no. Like Bernie can absolutely parry that. And I don't need I'm not going to let Trump make the decision like what Trump's going to do is not going to make my decision. I see in choosing Bloomberg this desire to say he's tough, he's gritty, he's rich, he will punch Trump in the nose. He's not your savior. What would be the value of pushing Trump off the stage to have a white supremacist in another form take his place? That would be of no value. I need the true opposite of Trump to become president. And I see that in a Bernie. I see that in a little bit in some of the other candidates. But I feel like we are close to finally nominating a progressive. And the party has resisted that on this pragmatic stance for so long. And here comes this guy who is very intelligent, who is very progressive, who has a super passionate audience that loves him. And, you know, it jumped out at me, Chris Matthews, the other day, just, just bashing Bernie, almost knee-jerk because of the word socialism, because of Chris Matthews and people his age, relationship to Russia, right? And when we were dealing with the Cold War. And if you're in Gen X, the Cold War is something that you read about in high school textbooks, and it doesn't have a visceral thing for you. If you're a millennial, you're like, what is the Cold War? Why was it so cold? Was that climate change? Like, you know, but if you're a mm -hmm. boomer, that really matters. So they are scared. The depth of socialism in this country that already exists. I mean, like, there's so many ways that we already have socialism in this country. And if you point it out, people will be like freaked out. You know, it was a great exchange when Chris Matthews was like, you know, he's going to make us like Denmark. And Chris Hayes was like, what's wrong with Denmark? <laughs> Like Denmark, yeah, like everybody has healthcare and it's clean, right? And like, you, you know can they go care to, about the environment, and you, you everybody can, goes to school. Right? You can go to college. What's the bad part? This is what he wants to do. And if your argument is, well, Mitch McConnell's not going to go for any of that, well, he's not going to go for anything any Democrat posits. So again, you're allowing the right to make the choice for you, right? Which is why I'm saying, allow yourself to fall in love with the person who really moves you politically and ideologically. And then we will defeat them and figure out how to govern in this broken government system that we have. But trying to triangulate 
who will the Republicans vote for and what policies will Mitch and them go for, well, then you're allowing them to win. You've moved the Overton window to the right, and we are basically Democrats governing from the right. Look, I think that there are two things that I consistently say move people to action, right? And it's love or fear. And right now, I believe that we are in a state of panic as a nation, as a democracy. And I don't think that there are enough people that feel this sense of love. Yes, you are correct. The people who love Bernie, they love him. They love him so much that some of them stayed the fuck home in 2016. They love him so much that some of them threw their votes behind Jill Stein. They love the man so much that they go after people on Twitter in the same way, right, that MAGA supporters do. Now, I believe that if Bernie Sanders were to become the nominee, oh, I'm behind him 1,000%. I really am, because I've said a million times, I'm behind whoever the Democratic nominee is. But right now, what I need people to be moved by really is not love. I need them to be moved by the fear of fascism, the fear of an authoritarian, and the fear of an unchecked government, unchecked agencies, people abandoning their life's work in the face of Trumpism. Like, I need people to understand the danger that we are in. I do not need someone that people want to hold hands with, they want to have a fucking beer with, they want to go to brunch with. I don't give a fuck. But I do. I know. And, you know, it's not merely some window dressing of somebody that I want to hang out with. I don't necessarily want to hang out with Bernie Sanders. Are you sure? I wanted to hang out with Barack Obama. I wanted to hang out with Bill Clinton. I don't want to hang out with Bernie Sanders. I want him to go do his job. But I understand that, especially on the left, the hate and the outrage is deep, right? We were at outrage level 10 right after Trump came down the escalator, and we couldn't get any more than that, right? And we just keep mm-hmm. stomping on the outrage. We The hate flows deeply through us, right? The outrage flows deeply through us. That is all fully activated and part of the process. But voting is so reptilian and so Mm -hmm. emotional. And we talk about it in this intellectual way, but people get past that, they get down to the emotion of it. And the hate is already activated. You can't just ask people to vote against somebody, which is why I'm distrustful of blue no matter who, because that's just based on hate. And we also have to give people somebody to love and somebody to come out for. And Bernie is somebody who people come out for. His people love him. Right. Amy and Pete, I'm not sure that they're fully activating love. Right. Biden was fully intellectual. Right. There was no love. It was he's the pragmatic choice. We need to activate love, especially as Democrats. Right. That's what we're all about. We see government as a chance to help people. Right. Mm -hmm. And to service people, not just to give more power to the wealthy, but to give more power to the working class, to black women, gay, lesbian, to open the tent for more people. This is the value of government to us. Right. We proceed through government as an act of love. So we need a candidate who we will love. And Bernie seems like the guy who might say, get off my lawn when your ball goes into his lawn. But there is a deep passion for him. There's also a deep divide with people who do not like him. 
He is a visceral. And that's the part. He that's is the a, issue. He is a visceral candidate. That's, meaning that's that why you, he's going to have to pull people will, in. People who love him, love him. People like myself who do not like him, who he does not resonate with. I don't like him. I have said that since 2015. I have said that since before. I just, I'm not feeling him. I don't feel the burn. And, you know, as a black lesbian child of immigrants, I'm like, what are you doing for me? Like, what are you offering for me? What are you offering for communities that are marginalized and that live at the intersection of multiple identities? I do not hear any of that. And so if Bernie can convince me over the next several weeks, over the next several months, that he is in it, not just with his democratic socialism and, oh, it's just the economy, stupid, because it's not just the fucking economy, because the economy was not, a capitalism was not just set up to distract, you know, the rich and the poor and to have that breakdown, but it is also to make people of color stay on the bottom. And if you don't have a racial construct to fucking understand that, and you're just going to talk about, oh, well, we can make it equal and it's, oh, it's just the rich. It's not just that. He needs a racial framework that he does not have, that he has not operated from. And if he can gain that over the next several weeks, over the next several months, and he understands that it's not just the Bernie bros and not just his base, but it's everybody else, then like, I am open. Like I said, I am open to most people because my hate for Trump, it's not just like, oh, I don't like him. I hate white supremacy. I hate white nationalism. I hate the idea that this white man is above the law. I hate the fucking cronyism. I hate the criminality of it that Barack Obama had to be damn near a fucking angel fallen from heaven and still was criticized. Right. And this man literally has shit on the Constitution in front of everybody and people are still applauding like fucking seals. So my hate is not just like, oh, I don't like this person. It's like everything that he represents is everything that is wrong with America. And so if it's going to be hate and fear of what another four years of unchecked white supremacy looks like in America, I am open to voting for whomever I believe can win and literally will go horse for. But I'm like, this man, Bernie Sanders, has flaws that needs to be addressed because it fucking matters, right? Like it matters that you have a contextual understanding of what it means or what you should be doing to advance marginalized communities specifically Black people, which is why I really liked Elizabeth Warren. And it pisses me off that America is so fucking misogynistic that they can't even, couldn't imagine, couldn't fathom her because the policies and the ideas that she was offering for everybody made the most sense. You talk about Bernie Sanders and his intellect. I think that Elizabeth Warren is fucking brilliant. And I don't understand why she fell in the polls in the way that she did. But then I realized because rich white corporatists were not going to allow her to fucking happen. Right. They were not. And people will get behind Bernie Sanders because he is a man and he can be crazy with his wild hair and his spitting and his yelling and do all of those things. But Elizabeth Warren had other shackles around her, the shackles of patriarchy that she had to deal with. And I just I find that so troublesome to me. But look, you know, fall in love. I, I, too, am sad to see Elizabeth Warren fading I loved her. I love her. I think that she would be a great president. I think that she would beat Trump. I think that the Democratic fear 
of losing to him is motivating us to say, we need somebody who will figuratively and perhaps literally punch him in the face in the debate. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And there is a sense that Bloomberg might do that. Mm -hmm. Bernie might do that. Biden might do that. I mean, there was a sense, right? Biden's obviously falling apart, but that's why he was leading for so long, because he seemed like tough Joe might punch the guy in the face. And the women had to do triple backflips to say, hey, I can compete with him. And also, there's not going to be an actual fistfight. And there may not even be a debate. So, and the notion that the debates are going to be central is ridiculous. Hillary mopped the floor with Trump. It didn't matter. The notion that a woman can't mop the floor rhetorically with a man is ridiculous. Of course she can. Of course she can. Of course Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar could go into debates and make Trump look like a fool, right? And present rhetorical problems for him and that he's trying to be the tough bully and she's playing the role that she inhabits with her personality and he looks like a fool attacking her of course he would right with bernie that's a little different you can you know he seems like this tough old guy and you could say whatever to him and it's not going to come across as rude but you know i've seen bernie in these moments in debates with hillary with one-on-ones with the group where he's so honestly saying That doesn't matter. This is what matters. And pivoting away from what Obama would call the silly season. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I go back to the debate between Hillary and Bernie in Brooklyn when the questioner tried to bring up her emails. And Bernie was like, that doesn't matter. You know what matters is this. And went back to actual issues. And he could have stood on like, yeah, the email thing, like, who knows, because that's good for me and bad for her. But he's like, that's stupid. We should not make the decision based on something stupid like that. And when Trump tries to hurl some stupid name or some stupid idea, Bernie will be perfectly poised to be like, that's dumb. That's not the point of this. We should be deciding based on this. And Trump cannot follow him into policy, cannot follow him into intellectual ideas. He is not 
in the same league with this person at all in terms of character, in terms of ideas, in terms of vision for the country. None of it. I don't think we're going to have a debate, right? A, oh, like, I don't. We're definitely not literal a debate. debates. Yeah. But I don't think the race is starved for that because I think that becomes a theatrical sideshow where media and others go, hmm, what was the tone that that person used to respond mm. to that attack? And what was the speed? And did they sweat? And how did they feel? And how did they sound? And like, this is not theater. We are not theater critics, right? None of this stuff matters, right? It's not like we have Khrushchev on the other side who needs to see how tough we are. He's going to launch a nuclear bomb at us. Like, those are ridiculous variables. What are your ideas? And are your ideas better for the country? And can you make us fall in love with your presentation? Right. And I think Bernie's an extraordinary candidate. And I think that he could be an extraordinary president. I have every faith that he would beat Trump. And the question again is can he, over the next few weeks, two months outside, make people like you, make people like Chris Matthews, make people who are like, Ugh, socialist never say no you can trust me not trust me versus the maniac in the white house but trust me versus anything else that i care and, about you mm -hmm. and your future and my ideas and my judgment will be good for you and your future and if he can reach out to people who are not currently supporting him and get them to start saying Okay, I don't feel the burn, but I'm super open to you. And not just on some vote blue no matter who situation, but like, I actually like you. Then he's really coalescing then, and really accomplishing and something. And I'm telling you, I don't think that the path is as clear. I think that there are a lot of variables. I think that a lot is going to happen over the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months that I am deeply concerned about. And I think that even if there were going to be debates, which I, you know, Trump is not going to do that no. because he'll look like a buffoon. But even if there were going to be debates, all he's going to do and all Fox News is going to do, frankly, is scream socialism. That's all they're going to do. And because if Bloomberg doesn't end up on the ticket, right, if he does oh, not Lord, put, no. but if he does not put as much money in to combating the noise of Fox News, and that is why. Again, he was able to cut Biden's lead with black folks. You need to be able to have the money to combat the noise that Fox News, the Rush Limbaugh's of the world and everybody are going to put out against Bernie Sanders if he is the nominee. And these white folks who are living in the middle of the country going to throw up their hands and be like, oh, my God, well, I don't want a communist. Like, I don't want a socialist. And I don't even know how to spell any of those words or what they mean because my education system sucks. That's all they're going to hear over and over and over again. This race, unfortunately to me, is going to have a lot to do with money and a lot to do with messaging. Two things that the Democrats fucking suck at. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I retain a faith that the Democratic Party can find a way to screw it up and snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. But Bernie is uniquely powered by small donations, mm -hmm. which I have long felt was a huge indicator that he could win this thing because when you get a far larger number of mm -hmm. donors than other candidates that is a massive indicator in your strength and power but the other thing is like you know it was bad enough when we had you know billionaires sitting on the sidelines giving absurd amounts of money 
to the candidates and shaping them. But now we have billionaires in the race yep. shaping the race itself. And yep. this is the beginning of this trend, yep. right? And it will only ramp upward that billionaires are getting on the stage, getting in the race, figuring out better ways to fully inject themselves into the race. I mean, Bernie may be the poorest person who's actually contending for a Democratic or Republican nomination for a long time. And that does not bode well for America. And the lack of campaign finance reform. The desire for it. That would, yes, that would keep billionaires from being able to say, I want you and I want you to talk about these things or I want me and I will talk about these. Like, oof, I don't think it's right. It's not right. That one candidate should be able to spend $250 million propping up himself. He spent 300 Excuse me. It's I mean, been th- it's over three hundred million dollars. I, I, you know, doesn't that seem wrong? Yeah, I understand. But the Supreme Court thought it felt right. I mean, like I understand you make a lot of money. You are success in this country. You should be able to spend what you want, spend it on what you want. But this is different. This is a special area of American life of who we choose to be president. And when you can spend unlimited amounts of money on yourself in this sort of a way to shape us. He didn't even have to show up in the first two states. I don't think this strategy is going to work, that I'm not going to show up in the first couple of states. I have no ground game. I'm just all up on media. That's not going to work. I don't know. We will wait and see because I think that this race is getting a lot more interesting. And by interesting, I mean terrifying as time goes on. But I do think as we have seen Iowa and New Hampshire play out and we have all talked about its whiteness and it's not a reflection of the Democratic Party or the country, that Bloomberg was right. And that had Iowa not fuck up in the way that it did, it Mm. probably wouldn't have allowed an on-ramp for him. But it did. Right. And so we need to pay attention to all of these things because we're not living in a normal world. You know, Joe and Jane, who just like are patriots and feel good about the country, can no longer afford to put their ideas out into the universe, can no longer afford the cost of entry into leading our great country, even if they have the best ideas. We've watched this play out across the candidates that were on the stage, starting out most diverse, most thoughtful, most educated. And one by one, all picked off. And what was the leading refrain? Didn't have the money. Didn't have the money. That's where we are. So we need to deal with the America that we are in right now where messaging and money matters most. It really does. And that is the lesson from Russia that we needed to learn in terms of the messaging piece. And it is also about the money that we have never really fully reckoned with following the Supreme Court decision in Citizens United that we've never really fully reckoned with, that it fucked our democracy moving forward. And so this is the place that we find ourselves in. And I think that this is the place that we need to operate from that reality, not what we want, but what is, and then create what we want after the fact. That's where I am. We're going to have more primaries to pedal through next week. God, just bring something. I don't know. I need some sage. It's getting very exciting. And by exciting, I mean terrifying. terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Democracy Ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Booty Bill. And we will be back next week. If if there's still a country. It started out as a joke. It's It's not not funny anymore. It really could not really be a country anymore. I wonder if the election's going to get suspended. Oh, my God. You'll just find us in the basement, guys. Pray about it. Pray about it.